Amen. If you have your Bible while they're doing that, you can turn to Romans chapter 9. I want to give you a few announcements as you're turning there and, and getting ready for them. Uh, I know what some of you are thinking is, man, I wish I would have gone on mission trips as a teenager too. I, if you didn't see Russell's testimony, yesterday may have been the best time to plant an oak tree, but when's the next best time? Today, right now. So if God's calling you to serve on missions, raise your hand and let's go. If you want to be a part of the prayer ministry that walk on the 20th, we'd love for you to be a part of that. We're going to be asking a few people to be leaders. If you're saying, I would love to give the time and commitment to hear more about being a leader for that day, um, we would love for you to come visit with me after church in that. So be praying over that. And then the third thing I want to ask you for is uh, this afternoon, um, I'll, I'll sneak away and I'll start a two-week study break. And over the next two weeks, I want to ask you to be praying for me specifically. Um, this is a time of year the church affords me to get away. I'll be reading through scripture and preparing the sermons for next year as we get ready to go. Just um, reading um, some books uh, and working through some things as far as ministry things I can be uh, a part of and encourage and, and get our church involved in next year. And so um, eight years ago, a week by myself felt like death, y'all. Mo like most men, I'm worthless without my wife. You follow me on that? Um, two weeks two weeks now, a few years later, it's so sweet to spend that kind of time with Jesus, thinking about what he's got to do for us here. And so if you would be praying for me, I would appreciate that. I'll only be out one Sunday. Pastor Scott will be bringing the message next week. So don't skip. I watch live, and when they pan the video, I take notes. So not, if you're visiting, not really um, in doing that. We're walking through the book of Romans. Um, and in, in, in chapter 8, we just chopped it up into about five weeks, okay? In chapter nine, we're eating the whole enchilada today, all right? Are y'all ready for that? I hope you came hungry um, because we're gonna really dive in. Um, this passage of scripture is unique because of the pain that it brings uh, to Paul in his life. And quite honestly, um, it's something that we identify with. And so we stay away from this chapter often because it's, it's, it's wrestling. It's a hard chapter but what I love about it is it deals with real questions raised in the heart of men that would threaten to derail um, the faith of, of the Roman church. And, and I don't know about you, I, I grew up in the little town we grew up in until I was about seven years old, um, had a train track that went through town. And this is way before we thought about safety issues and all that. We didn't have air tags on children and that kind of thing. And so my mom had a little holiday shop in an old train depot. Do y'all know what train depots are next to? Train tracks. And do you know what the funnest thing for a seven-year-old to do? Is to take a penny and go put it on the train track and just sit as close as possible and watch what happens. <laughs> if you're wondering, my parents should be arrested. They told us not to, but come on. <laughs> and do you know how my parents got me to stop doing stuff like that? I mean, threats of, of discipline for sure. But they said, if you put something on the track and it causes that wheel to go off, it hurts everything and everyone on that train. And I just never even thought about that at seven. Of course, at seven, I was, I was probably having that thought of, oh my goodness, I, that's a lot of trouble to be in, right? That's a lot of trouble. But it's amazing how in our life we can pour ourselves or we can run hard after Jesus, but, but it can just take a penny sometimes on that train track and it derails our faith. We've seen crashes before. We've seen the destruction of what God allows to happen or what seems like it's going on around us. 
and it threatens us. And I, I really believe with all of my heart that when Paul wrote Romans chapter 9, when the Holy Spirit inspired him to do so, it was so that you and I could hear this word about the God who loves us and why it's so important that we believe who he is and in who he is without any additives in that equation. All right? Are y'all ready for this? It's so good. I was laughing at Panera Bread on Saturday night, and I'm sure people thought I was going to a charismatic church because, y'all, it's so good. Romans chapter 9, verse 1 through 6. This is what the Bible says. I'm speaking the truth in Christ. I'm not lying. My conscience bears me witness in the Holy Spirit that I have great sorrow, unceasing anguish in my heart. For I could not wish that I myself, for I could wish, excuse me, I could wish that I myself were accused or cut off from Christ for the sake of my brother, my kinsmen, according to the flesh. They're Israelites, and to them belong the adoptions and the glory and the covenants and the giving of the law and the worship and the promises. To them belong the patriots from their race, according to the flesh that is Christ, who is God over all, blessed forever amen verse 6 i'll stop in the middle for it is not as though the word of god has failed i want to give you the context and this is not the part that had me giggling paul is hurting see what's going on in the early church is there's starting to be a shift in the dynamics there are less and less jews walking with christ The persecution is real. People are being spread all over the world because of the persecution. Believers in Christ are being kicked out of the synagogue, even if they're Jewish, because of the way Christianity is being used. The pressure is supreme and it is real. But in this world that's going on, those who don't have the blessings and the promise those who don't have the leg up in life, those who don't have that door open to them, we're seeing this massive amount of Gentiles come to know Christ Jesus. And if you don't know what a Gentile is, it's someone who's not a Jew. So what's happening is the dynamic of the church is flipping. We know from statistics, anytime any group that is a minority group becomes more than 20%, the majority group starts to feel like there's disproportionate stuff going on. We know that's true no matter where you are in the world, no matter what's going on. What's happened in the church is something that used to be seemingly uniquely for Jews. All of a sudden, Christ has shown the word of God true. He's opened it up to the whole world and the whole world is bigger than the Jewish people. And so there are people that Paul loves that he cares so deeply, deeply that he says, I wish for that, for I could wish that I myself were cursed and cut off from Christ if you would all just get it. That's like a parent hurt, isn't it? I mean, my, my children both know Jesus Christ and they love him. And it's not possible for me to save them. But if they didn't, if it were possible by the will of God, I would give myself away for them. And Paul is saying, what's happening hurts. And it hurts because 
They have it all. They have the prophets. They have the adoption. They have the glory. They have the patriarchs. They have the, they've got it all. What's going on? Have you ever asked God that kind of question? God, life isn't playing out like it should. Things are hard. A hurt is real. What's happening? Paul lays out some questions. I know what you're thinking. Did God abandon the Jews? Did things not go as planned? So he's working on a plan B. And if so, could this happen in other areas of life? The way this starts makes this such an important passage of scripture. Because church, you and I are gonna go through times in our life where, where scripture says, hold to Jesus, trust in the Lord all that Paul has written chapter 1 through chapter 8 has told us that he will not fail that he is strong enough that he is faithful enough that he won't let us down but what Paul is saying is I know what's going on in your mind I know what's happening in your heart did God somehow let us go as a dad, I went to Galatians chapter 5, verse 16 through 21. And there's a part of verse 16 that says, those who walk in the spirit do not gratify the desires of the flesh. And I can't tell you how many times those things have threatened our life and those things have threatened the faith of the people around us and the desires of the flesh, our wants, what we stake ourselves in, what we find ourselves in that start to challenge us. We start to gratify them because we stop trusting that the Spirit is able, the Lord is able to do so. So what Romans 9 says, what do we do when your truth is threatened? What do you do when it's threatening your heart? Do you find yourself saying, God, you have failed to convince me? Do you find yourself saying you have failed to meet my expectations? Do you find yourself saying, I choose my truth or my freer over what is true and I will take my chances when I see the Lord face to face? Church, these aren't just Bible questions. If you look, I was reading articles this week, that churches in decline all over the country, that involvement is decreasing. And you start to say, why? Lord, did you fail us? So all of a sudden, like Abraham and Sarai, we start watering down what faith is to hope that that dilution goes further. Listen, 
Christy and I laughed. We were in a, a, a spot one time and we were trying to stretch nacho cheese further than we could and, and, and we let someone have a great idea that those big cans from Sam's, y'all follow me? I mean, it kills you young, but you die happy. Y'all know what I'm talking about? So when we do that, so we took half of it out and poured water in it and stirred it up. So it, was, it stretched twice as far in the trash can. Do you know how many people ate it? Nobody. Nobody. The chemical balance is perfect like it is. When you and I see decline happening in faith, in life, in the church, the answer is not water it down so it can spread thinner. It's taste and see that the Lord is good. And that's where Paul leads us into it. So can you trust that God is who he says he is? Can you trust that he's able to do what scripture says? Church, you and I have to stake everything on that reality. Either he is or he is not. It doesn't matter who, who he is if he is not able. You follow me? It doesn't matter. As much as I love my son and my daughter and my wife, I cannot say, no matter where you go, no matter what you do, I've got you. That's impossible. I can do my best, but I will fail them. So is that who God is too? Are there limits? Paul says, no way. So let's walk through that a little bit. If you're a note taker, you can write this down to begin with. You can trust God because God's footing isn't fragile. This is, this is beautiful. I don't know if you think about this, but going to watching what's happening at kids camp, watching what was happening at youth camp, it doesn't matter how strong you are if your footing fails. You follow me? I, I remember when Connor was becoming stronger. He's left so I can say this. He was becoming stronger than I was, right? Becoming faster than I was. So there was a time in my life, Dad, do you, you follow me with this? Like you would race your kids Y'all used to do that? Yeah, there comes a day when you're gonna lose, okay? And here's what you do. Here's how you know ahead of time. When they get close and you get winded and they're not, you gotta play a different game, y'all. It's gotta change. So for me, that's the pool. I can drown him all day long, probably till he's 80, right? So, so when, when we start kind of going through this world, I have to take his footing out from underneath him or I'm going to start losing, right? So he might be stronger. He might be quicker. He might be faster. Reflexes may be like that. But as long as I can make sure his footing's not secure, I, I have an advantage. See, if God is all the things that Romans 1 through 8 says he is, but his footing is fragile, then there may be weakness to exploit and maybe he's not able. Maybe I should put my trust in someone else. Paul says, I know what you're thinking. It's not fragile. Verse 6, we'll read it again all the way down through verse 13. If you have your Bible, let's go along in this together. The Bible says it this way. But it's not as though the word of God has failed, for not all who are descended from Israel belong to Israel. You see, not all are children of Abraham because they are his offspring, but through Isaac shall your offspring be named. This means that it's not the children of the flesh who are the children of God, but the children of the promise that are counted as offspring. For this is what the promise said. About this time next year, I will return and Sarah will have a son. And not only so, but also when Rebekah had conceived children by one man, our forefather Isaac, 
though they were not yet born and had not done any nothing excuse me had done nothing either good or bad in order that God purposes of election might continue not because of works but because of him who calls she was told the older will serve the younger so it's written I loved Jacob but Esau I hated man here's what I want you to catch I want you to walk through this with me and follow the Lord I want you to hear what Paul said in the second half of verse 6 alright so go back up there he says for not all who have descended from Israel belong to Israel this would be a piercing pain but coming from the lips of God it's extremely extraordinary what he's saying is you don't have to have some physical family lineage to be of God so here's what I wrote down and you'll hear it through the rest of the sermon right flesh doesn't determine God's promise for your life the flesh doesn't determine the promise and he opens it up and he says that's what we've been staking our life on we've been staking our life on this idea that somehow lineage it makes us guarantors of God's promise as if no matter what I do no matter where I've been no matter what I have said because I'm part of the fleshly race through whom God's chosen were named, I'm in. And, and that type of thinking led millions of people to claim the promise while holding fast to gratifying themselves in the world. I mean, it's still at work today, isn't it? Like we say, I've done all the right things. I've checked all the right boxes. So therefore, I must have a place in God. I went to church. I even gave 7.5% on average for my whole life. It's great. Like we kind of go through these things. And we find ourselves putting our, our belief in ourselves as if God's footing is weak. And sometimes, somehow he needs our help. So, so Paul uses two examples that would have been amazingly difficult to get around. Genesis 21, Genesis 25 start both of these stories. One in Isaac and one in Jacob. In both cases, Isaac had a brother Ishmael. Jacob had a brother Esau. Both came from the flesh of Abraham. In both sets, his flesh happened. But God said, I decided one to be the lineage from whom the promised would be named. Like, I decided that. And here's what happens in our awesome Western mindset. We say, well, that's wrong. Something must be wrong with God. Why would he choose him and not him? Now, the short answer is because he's God, amen? But there's more to the story. I want you to hear that your flesh and no one else's flesh for you can determine God's promise. That's why he starts off with Isaac. When he says it came through Isaac that they would be named. If you don't know the story of, of Abraham and Sarai's wife and the promise, God said, you'll have a son and through him, you'll have people as numerous as the, as the sand on the shore, stars in the sky. Like, it's gonna be incredible. Well, Abraham and Sarah were getting old. And so they said, here's the reality. God's footing must be a little weak because we're old. 
And you might say, well, age was different back then. Y'all, older is older, amen? Come on. I don't want to offend anyone to leave today, but you're with me. So here's what happens. He said, God is too weak to carry this out. I don't know if I can trust his footing. So Abraham, you can have my slave as a second wife and have a child through her and I'll pretend he's mine. And we're just gonna help God out. You see, when this happened, what they're saying is, I can support God's unstable and wobbly promise. And through my flesh, I can make it happen. And when Ishmael was born, there's a moment they thought that's it. And then Sarah quickly said, this is not working out well. God came down and and he said, hey, Ishmael's been around for a few years now. He's not the child of the promise. You're gonna have another son this time next year. Do you remember what Abraham said? Don't let that happen. Please don't let that happen. Please allow my flesh, my fleshly decisions, my my fleshly promise, let it undergird your plan. Let it provide some support for you, God. You know what God said? No, no. Why would I let your flesh determine my promise? I mean, you've already proven you're broken. You've already proven you're insecure. My footing is firm and I will hold my promise strong. And as if that weren't enough, Paul says, I want you to think of Jacob and Esau. And you can kind of go back and you say, man, he, he loved Jacob and he, and he hated Esau. Why did he choose Jacob and not Esau? If you don't know the story, when they were born, Esau came out first, hands wrapped in a, a ribbon. He, he was the firstborn to him by the traditions of men, to him by the birth order that he had, by the designs of the flesh, To him, we're going to belong the promises. Why did God say, not it? I'm picking Jacob to be the one who carries the promise. And so in light of that, as Jacob being the people that would carry that promise and not Esau, there's a rejection, so to speak. Doesn't mean that God was abusing him in the womb. It means that he gave the promise here and he said, I'm gonna reject what? Why did he do that? And and I'm not there, I wasn't in the picture. But our God says, your flesh will not determine my promise. It's too weak. You will have people that say they love me and they will let you down. You will see sad people that say they care about me and they will do sin against you. So not only will I show you that your flesh, Abraham, can't interfere with my promise, I'll hold it fast. He says this. He says, your traditions and your thoughts and your cultural pressure, they do not determine my promise. So I choose Jacob. How good is it that God's footing is firm? If all this were to come into play, if this was stuff about the flesh, you and I wouldn't be here today hearing the good news of Jesus Christ. Because men would have interfered with it a long time ago. 
But God says, listen to me. My footing is firm enough to stand up to what they think, to open the door wide for others to come in, to make it happen. But then I journaled these notes. Included in this promise that was true there is this. It doesn't matter where you felt you belonged on the totem pole of life. It doesn't matter what a parent, a teacher, a peer, or other people told you who you are because of your accent, ethnicity, social standing, financial class, fill in the blank. The decisions that you've made, God's footing is secure. And their flesh cannot stop the promise he has offered to you. Praise Jesus. Praise Jesus. God didn't choose to make himself be subject to the whims of man. <laughs> Sorry, when I look at the clock, we're going to be here for a minute. Romans 9, 14 through 18. The Bible says it this way. What shall we say then? Is there injustice on God's part? By no means. By for he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy. I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. So then it depends not on human will or exertion, but on God who has mercy. For the scripture says to Pharaoh, the Bible says it this way, for this purpose I have raised you up, that I might show my power in you, that my name may be proclaimed in all the earth. So then he has mercy on whomever he wills and he hardens whomever he wills. Church, I love that Paul says, and I'm not shy of what's going on in your head now. If God can do that, then is his character flawed? Is there a flaw in the characters of God that says, I've got a tough question for you, God. If you could choose there, and I've seen the outcome of the promise. Is your character flawed? Is there a flaw in your great promise? Is your promise real? Is it really available? Is it really out there? Verse 16. Look at the beginning. You'll read it again. It says this. So then it depends not on human will or exertion. What Paul says here is I want you to hear this one more time. God is sufficient. His plans, his promises, they are not determined by the flesh. They don't find themselves subject to it. They find, don't find themselves underneath that. And the first thing I thought when I read this was John chapter 1. I don't know if you like John chapter 1 as much as I like John chapter 1. But you should. Amen? If you haven't read it yet, go back. It's so good. But listen to what it says. Verse 12 and verse 13. But to all who did receive him, who believe in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. We are born not of blood, not of the will of the flesh, and nor the will of man, but of God. Every time I read John 1, I am reminded that I didn't think my way into his family. I didn't do good my way into his family. I didn't earn salvation, which means if I really have it, I can't lose it. 
I didn't deserve the promise, but God in his goodness offered it. God wasn't bound to give it to me because of who my mom or my dad was. And he didn't hold it back from me because of who my mom and my dad was. It was his choice to freely offer it because he desired to. It was the will of God. If that's a character flaw, it's the worst. That our God so loves you that it doesn't matter where, who, what, when, or why. He has made it available to you, this promise. And people were turning this into some kind of flaw. What does it mean that God would have mercy on whom he'll have mercy? He'll harden who he hardens. What does it mean that he spoke to Pharaoh and he says, I raised Pharaoh up for this purpose that the name of God would be made known and proclaimed in the earth. When I read that story of Pharaoh, that God raised Pharaoh up so that the Egypt would have a leader whose heart was hard and God would have to be the one to freedom because they couldn't. What does that say about God's character? It shows you that he didn't start the world in motion and then walk away that would be a character flaw but instead he started it and he tends it still today his plan aren't aren't without attention he's not just randomly throwing darts in heaven he's not ambiguous he has purpose in his plan with Pharaoh he allowed and he he planned for Pharaoh to be a tool to be used so that his name would be proclaimed like a megaphone throughout the land. So this has the question of justice and character. This is the only reason for the board to be up here today. We can look at this passage one of two ways. One, where man is at the top of our pyramid and we can say God I think you're flawed because if man's at the top then I determine what is just what is right and what is good what I can live with what I can't live with what I can say I won't follow a God like that or I can't follow a God like this we, we start bending God to our will and when we do that we say God in order for you to be good you must submit to my authority, and we say it politely through definitions. That's what we say. I'm at the top. God, if you're going to be good, you have to fill out all my definitions. You have to do all of my markers. I mean, have you looked lately at who you have mercy on and who you don't? But this is what we're saying. God, it's not okay. There's a flaw with that. You need to prove yourself for me. There's disdain in this comment. There's a mixed idea that, that God has to show himself to us and prove himself to us. But what Paul says is, if God is at the top of this and he is over it all, then justice flows freely from him 
And you and I, as men and women, we are recipients of what God has in store for us. And what God has in store for us is a right relationship with him. That's what Paul's been saying. And he's saying, here's the reality is, you and I, we do not determine what a right relationship with God is. Your, your attendance isn't enough. You're, you can memorize the scripture. It's not sufficient. Your faith is too feeble. Because God is at the top of that pyramid. Because God isn't flawed. Then we can trust his justness to bring us into a right relationship with him. And over and over he says, test me in this. Taste and see how good I am. Watch me and do. Come here and listen. So which seems best in your heart when you think about a right relationship with a good God? A God who is flawed and insufficient and is in need of us for completion and clarity. Or a God who is perfect, complete, and all-sufficient who freely chooses to complete me and you. Only one of these is truth regardless of your answer. And that's what Paul says. God doesn't have a character flaw. His character flows. And he says, let me show you. Look at verse 19 as we start to pull this thing together. The Bible says this. You will say to me then, you will say to me then, why does he still find fault? Who can resist his will? Verse 20, but who are you, O oh man, to answer back to God? What will what is molded by its molder say, why have you made me like this? Has the potter no right over the clay to make out of the same lump one vessel for honorable use and another for dishonorable use? What if God, desiring to show his wrath to make known his power, has endured much with much patience vessels prepared of wrath prepared for destruction in order to make known the riches of his glory for the vessels of mercy which he has prepared beforehand for his glory even us whom he has called not from the Jews but also from the Gentiles as indeed he says in Hosea Hosea those who were not my people I call I will call my people and to her who is not beloved I will call beloved in the very place where it was said to them you are not my people they will be called sons of the living God verse 27 and Isaiah cries out concerning Israel though the number of the sons of Israel be the sand as the sand of the sea only a remnant will be saved for the Lord will carry out his sentence upon the earth fully without delay Isaiah predicted If the Lord of hosts had not left us offspring, then we would be like Sodom and Gomorrah. There are times when I hear an attitude in Scripture that makes me laugh. When Paul kind of brings this question up, he's saying, well, listen, if God is firm in his footing and his character isn't flawed and he's the top of the pyramid, then I can't be blamed for any sin in my life. It's not my fault. 
I, I can't take responsibility for anything. I have a right to be annoyed with God when I want to be and angry with him when I want to be because that's who he is. And this is, that's what you're saying. Paul brings that out. And I love it, what he says here in verse 20. But who are you? He's like, I'm, I'm so sorry. Did you miss what I was just saying? I, who are you? Who are you to speak to God like that? Who are you to bow up and to say, God, I'm gonna put you to a test, the last test I, I don't think you can stand up to. And Paul says in this long writing that God's plans aren't feeble. If his footing isn't fragile, his character is not flawed, then his plans aren't feeble. Like you can chunk some bomb that says, I have no responsibility in my life then because now you're coming at the core of a right relationship with God. I read about hydrangeas this week. You know, hydrangeas are one of the most popular flowers in the world. You can Google it later if you don't know. It's pretty amazing. They have these flowers, they're kind of like a bunch of flowers. And some are blue and some are pink and some are different colors. And do you know why they're different colors? Because of the soil they're planted in. The soil, the pH balance in the soil and the other mineral makeup of the soil, when it comes into the plant, if the plant takes it at the right amount, determines the color of it. So it tells you about it. So there's two ways to look at a hydrangea. A hydrangea either, one, tells you or testifies about the soil, or you could say the soil testifies about itself through the flower. It's doing the determination. The flower is just putting its roots in and saying, I want what you have to give to me. I thought, Lord, that's it. When you and I are concerned about God, it will come out in your right relationship with him. Paul would say you'd try one more time to put yourself at the center of this attention. One more time to put yourself in the middle of this. But what I'm telling you is don't let your heart fall in to that world. Don't let your life be found captive to this. If God for a season wants to slow down the, the trickle of Jews coming into the kingdom so that a wave of the world can come in, praise be to God. Jesus says it, vine and the branches, right? He prunes and he removed so that you and I could be grafted in. He said, but don't, don't take pride. God's the one that's done all the work. And so if for a season, God allows that door to be closed more on one side in order to let the other side go through, that's a reason to praise him. He hasn't been hiding his plans. He hasn't been hiding his sovereignty. What he's saying is, are you mine? Do you believe that I am good? Do you trust me that I am holy? It's okay not to understand, but do you trust me? Church, in our own self-righteousness, I think there are times when we can get irritated at the world. Maybe the hot topic today is someone identifying of someone, something other than God made them to be. 
And when I read this verse, my first thought was, how many times have I come to church? Have I been angry with God? Have I questioned his character? Have I came at him hard? And I should look in the mirror and say, are you as irritated with yourself pretending to be in the judgment seat of God, asking him to explain himself as you are with other people? Church, God's plans aren't feeble. And so he doesn't belong sitting in some chair, filling out the paperwork, explaining to you and I why life is hard, why things are not working out at this moment. He doesn't have to share and and explain himself for us. I read in my quiet time this week, Jesus said a wicked generation asks for a sign. Could you imagine standing there looking at Jesus and saying, hey, Jesus, would you show me a sign? Jesus said, what a wicked thought. I am. Why would you look somewhere other than me to find me? It's like playing hide and seek with a child. And they run up to you and they say, hey, would you show me where you're hiding? It would be a silly question. God's plans aren't that elementary. They're not feeble. And here's why all that's important. Listen to verse 30, verse 31. The Bible says this. I turn to my right page. What do we say then? God, what do we say when we are broken and hurting and angry? What do we say then when our faith is being threatened and your purposes aren't sure? What do we say? Well, we say that the Gentiles who didn't pursue righteousness somehow have attained it. How? That's a righteousness. It's by their faith. But that Israel who pursued it by law that would lead to righteousness, they wouldn't succeed in reaching it by the law. Why? Because they didn't pursue it by faith. But as if it were based on works, they've stumbled over the stumbling stone because it was written, Behold, I am lying in Zion, a stone of stumbling, a rock of offense. Whoever believes in me will not be put to shame. Why does it matter that God's footing isn't fragile? Why is it so important that his character isn't flawed? Why does it mean something? His plans aren't feeble. And why is it so good that flesh doesn't determine the promise? Because all of that is true. Your faith in Jesus can never fall, can never fail. It's why you can be more than conquerors. It's why in Romans chapter 8 it says, nothing shall separate you from the love of God through Christ Jesus. How can we be so sure? Because of who he is. Search scripture. Has there ever been a time when a man or woman 
said, Lord Jesus, you are my all in all. And he said, I'm sorry, I don't want you. There's not. Has there ever been a time in scripture where says someone says, Lord, I repent of my sin and I give everything to you. And he says, I'm sorry. That's a nice gesture, but I didn't choose you. No. Is there a word of scripture that says when a man died and he stood in front of his Lord on the day of judgment and he said, I put my whole faith in you. And God said, I'm so sorry you wasted your life. I didn't choose you. No. You are here today hearing God's word, reading God's word for a purpose. The same purpose that started in Genesis, that reads through Revelation, and that sings into eternity. The God Almighty, for no reason that you who deserve, loves you. And he wants you to know a faith that will not fail. Your dad will fail you. Your wife will fail you. Your friends will fail you. You will fail yourself. But he will not. So thank you, Jesus, that God is who he is. And our flesh will not determine God's promise. Let's pray. Lord, we love you. Lord, I, I know the, the joy of this truth. God, I, I know the reality that things threaten our faith. They intimidate our faith. God, I, I know how much I long to do enough good to at least earn my spot. I know what it's like to think it's too much, too far. It's no way that's happening. Lord, thank you that flesh doesn't determine the promise. Father, if there is a man, a woman, boy, or girl in this room right here, right now, God, or that does not know that security in you, Lord, would you let your word consume their heart and mind in Christ Jesus? Lord, and let them profess a faith that will not fail because their faith is denying themselves and following hard after you as their Lord and Savior. Pray this in Jesus' name.